Welcome to the American Valor Podcast, a section of the Act of Valor Award Foundation. The foundation is the unique intersection of Major League Baseball, the United States Navy, and Marine Corps, representing the 37 Baseball Hall of Famers who served in World War II, led by Chief Petty Officer Bob Feller. The foundation's mission is to educate the younger generation about the honor, courage, and commitment of the greatest generation. Our goal is to help our country become a little stronger. My name is Nathaniel Cameron from Ohio University. My name is Tyler Buckholtz from James Madison University. And my name is Colin Kirk, also from James Madison University. We are interns for the Act of Valor Award Foundation, recognizing and honoring those Americans who support our service men and women by means of the Bob Feller story to educate the youth of today on the lessons of citizenship, service to one's country, sacrifice in times of great national need and legacy. Our goal is to tell the story of American valor no matter when or where it has happened. We will bring Americans timeless true stories of valor to life through conversations with individuals who have acted with courage. We will search for stories of American valor and bring these stories to you, stories you want to hear. We are excited for our fifth conversation of the American Valor podcast. Today, we are joined by Mr. Bob DiBiazio. Mr. DiBiazio started working for the Cleveland Indians in 1979 and now is the Senior Vice President of Public Affairs and sits on the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation Board of Directors. His duties for the Indians include team spokesperson, team ambassador, head of the Indians Alumni Association, and president of the Cleveland Indians Charities. Mr. DiBiazio, thank you for taking your time to join us on the American Valor Podcast. If you will, please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank you, gentlemen, and uh, look forward to our conversation. Anytime we can talk about the greatest name in the history of the Cleveland Indians franchise, Mr. Bob Feller, it's always a good day. I uh, am very proud to say that I was a close, close friend of Mr. Feller for more than 30 years. Uh, proudly, my Myself, Governor Kasich, Governor of Ohio, the President of the Baseball Hall of Fame, Jeff Eidelson, and myself were the three honored to give a eulogy at his memorial service. So when we, uh, when the Bob Feller Active Valor Foundation was brought to us, we were eager to uh, assist in any way we possibly could. As you mentioned, I started in this business in 1979 with the Cleveland Indians, uh, as is the case, probably 90% of all sports PR people, uh, there are only two kinds of us, those who have been fired and those who will be fired. <laughs> I, I was uh, fired uh, after our owner, Mr. Steve O'Neill, passed away in June of 1986. He passed away in May. And... Uh, a consultant came in and fired about six, seven of us. And I went down and became the PR man for the Atlanta Braves for the 1987 season and then came back to my hometown team, the Cleveland Indians, in 1988 and have been here ever since. So this is my 41st season in uh, Major League Baseball, my 40th with the Cleveland Indians. As I mentioned, I'm a native Clevelander, grew up in uh, the first suburb west. Lakewood, Ohio, uh, to a 
uh, a mother and father who were incredibly supportive. My dad was an educator and a coach, two older brothers. Sports has always been important in our life, education important in our life. My oldest brother is a college president. Uh, the middle brother is a counseling psychologist, a private practice, and ran a school system on the west side of Cleveland's counseling efforts, uh, now an adjunct professor at Baldwin Wallace University. My brother, the oldest brother, is the president of Ohio Northern University. So uh, sports and education, very important in our, in our lives. And uh, I've been fortunate and blessed that to say that four decades of being involved in Major League Baseball. So you went and worked for the Braves for a year. How much did culture change from organizations to organizations, and what drew you back to the Indians, um, if nothing else, that it was your home team over the Braves? Well, the culture change, um, no question that every organization has a different culture, has a different philosophy. Um, I was very fortunate to uh, work for tremendous men that embraced the concept of public relations. It was vital to the success of the franchise. That's not always the case. Ted Turner, being the owner of the Braves at that time, uh, obviously began his own news network. So he understood uh, the world of media, the importance of uh, media, uh, the importance of having wonderfully open dialogue with the media. That's certainly not the case, unfortunately, in our society today from certain leaders that uh, look at the media as the enemy instead of uh, as uh, an important aspect to who we are as a society. Those of us in baseball, you need to understand that we we don't have any secrets. We don't. We have answers for everything that we do. Everything that we do is done for a reason. And why not share that uh, uh, with media and then therefore your fans so that they have an understanding why you might trade this man or let this free agent go. Um, why you spend your money like we just had a ribbon-cutting ceremony, $10 million facility, 22-acre facility in the Dominican Republic. People wondering why we would spend that much money instead of go after a player that could help on the big league level and having the understanding that player development uh, matters. So open dialogue, so vitally important. Uh, Bobby Cox, Hall of Fame manager, happened to be the GM my one year in Atlanta, Chuck Tanner, veteran manager, uh, came from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, so I got to work with some of the, the greats in the game, and it was an incredible experience. Uh, but being home, doing this for your hometown team, uh, made the decision that I wanted my children, uh, my wife and I, we wanted our children um, both of whom are grad Ohio U Bobcats, by the way. Yes, sir. Uh, there we go. He, yeah. As is my father, a proud uh, graduate of uh, Ohio U. I'm an Ohio Wesleyan guy myself, as my two brothers are. 
but I wanted to come home and have my uh, children grow up with both sets of grandparents and with cousins and uh, I could still fulfill I felt all that I wanted to do in the world of sports PR in Cleveland Ohio despite the fact that obviously Atlanta's job a little bit more higher up if that's the proper phrase because you worked with people at CNN TBS your broadcasts were on nationally at that time the Braves we were just starting the Goodwill Games it was a commitment by Ted Turner and he wanted to try to do something through sports to help uh, create peace around the world Uh, so to work on those kind of efforts uh, were available in Atlanta they were not available uh, in Cleveland but I chose family over that and uh, I've never regretted that one bit. So I saw a quote by yourself that said if you ask any of my buddies in college they'll tell you that when we would sit around and say what are you going to do with your life I'd say I want to be the PR man of the Cleveland Indians. How exactly did you go from knowing what you wanted to do to actually implementing your dream and getting to where you are today? Well, there's two ways. First, I had to research no such thing as sports management programs in the early 70s, or there there were very few. OU had just started a graduate program, and there were a couple other colleges that were dabbling in it, but no undergrad, certainly no undergrad courses in sports management or the sports industry. Um, so I researched, uh, how did Dan Evans in Detroit Uh, become the PR man of the Detroit Tigers? How did Harry Jones, uh, legendary Harry Jones in Cleveland, Ohio, how did he become late in his career uh, the PR man of the Cleveland Indians? Jim Ferguson in the Cincinnati Reds, Tom Seberg, LA Angels. So I researched all these guys and they were all journalists. They were all sports writers. Some like Harry Jones in Cleveland transitioned to be a TV announcer and then When they decided to get younger in the TV booth, he transitioned to be the PR man. So I, back then, it was truly a fraternity. Thankfully, it is not that anymore, that our business is open to whomever wants to have an opportunity to be a part of of this incredible industry that I consider a pleasure and an honor to work in. So I studied again uh, their backgrounds so i felt i needed a journalism background so i was a a journalism uh, major Uh, my father being a a teacher an educator his whole life uh, had one rule in our house that all three of us had to graduate uh, with a certificate in our hands that said we could teach and so i had a uh, also a double major journalism and education got a teaching certificate in english able to, with my journalism background, if I was going to go that route to be a teacher and a coach, I could run a high school newspaper kind of thing. Luckily, I was able to uh, uh, jump into this in 1979. So after figuring out what's the curriculum, what's the the path um, that I needed to study while I was in my four years, sports editor of the college newspaper, there was no such thing at all. Ohio Wesleyan as a sports information director, Division Three sports at that time. So myself and another gentleman who 
happened to become the New York Times sports editor, Tom Jolly. We sort of created the sports information department with an, uh, two other guys, one Gordon Whitkin, who was a senior editor at U.S. News and World Report, uh, Ken Sternad, who became a, a VP of communications for UPS in Atlanta. We all sat around trying to figure out, okay, what can we do uh, independent study-wise? So we created our own college newspaper. We created the sports information department of sorts, doing more news releases instead of just writing for the newspaper. And all this is going on. I'm sending Harry Jones all my work uh, and telling him that one day I wanted to work for him in the PR department of the Cleveland Indians, that that was my ultimate goal. And at the same time at our university, uh, Branch Rickey, who was famous for breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball as the president of the Brooklyn Dodgers when he identified Jackie Robinson as the man that he felt could handle such a, a monstrous task of integrating baseball at that time in 1947. Him being an Ohio Wesleyan grad, actually 1901, Branch Rickey integrated Ohio Wesleyan's baseball team, or I'm sorry, 1903, and Charlie Taylor and thought if I could ever do this on a bigger scale, that's going to be one of my goals in life. So 40 some years later, he's president of the Dodgers and integrates baseball through Jackie Robinson. So we were building the Branch Rickey Physical Education Complex at Wesleyan during my time there. So I wrote many an article on Branch Rickey, you know, uh, what an incredible alum he was, what his role in social change in our country was and sent all of those articles to Harry Jones, writing on a selectric typewriter, putting it in the mail, sending it to him, doing that for four years and never hearing back. And then I went and became a, uh, uh, went to graduate school to get my master's degree at Ohio State University, taught journalism 101 in the undergrad program as I was getting my master's degree, kept writing Harry, uh, never heard from him. I went on to become an assistant sports editor of a small town newspaper in Northwest Ohio, Fremont, Ohio, the Fremont News Messenger. And I was got there in August. And in December, I get a phone call. Again, there's no answering machines. Um, I luckily was at home when Harry Jones happened to call me and asked the question, Are you, am I still interested in working for the Cleveland Indians? <laughs> and I uh, ended up having an interview sometime in early January and started February 1st. So the old-fashioned persistence, just the, trying to get the networking. Interestingly, I didn't write the pirate or the Tigers or the Reds or the Browns or the Cavs or <laughs> I I focused on just the Indians uh, the Cleveland Indians and just my love of baseball I love the Cavs I you know uh, Browns were my team until the NFL took them away I still am angry at that and uh, even though we do have a team now I, I still am amazed that 
the way we supported our football team that the NFL could take it away. So I have a different set of internal feelings about the NFL in our time. <laughs> and uh, I went to the first ever Cavs game in 1970. And so I just, while I was fans of all the three big sports teams, the Tribe was uh, near and dear to my heart more than the others. And just very lucky, you know, very lucky, very blessed. And then you, uh, I worked for Harry Jones for one year, 1979. And then he just had had enough. And I'm 23 years old, and all of a sudden, the president of the team, Gabe Paul, uh, has faith in a 23-year-old that he could be the PR man of a major league sports team. And uh, I can tell you, boys, I did not take a day off in three years. I, I just didn't want any scenario to happen where our owner or president, who were uh, older gentlemen to think that they handed the reins of the PR department of their baseball team to somebody who wasn't equipped. So I just, I had no vacation for three years and, and put all my efforts into the craft to make sure that they understood they, uh, they made the right choice. And um, 41 years later, I'm still lucky to come to the ballpark every day. How have you seen sports and baseball and the Indians specifically impact the lives of fans and people in the community in your career? I think that's probably the most rewarding aspect. It's it's not just the relationships you make with the guys in uniform on the field that are remarkable athletes and remarkable people and incredible professionals and and you can just learn by their discipline how they go about being the best they possibly can be. You know, there's only, what, 700 of them in the world and at one time, and how they go about achieving success. It's really wonderful to watch and to be a part of, but it really, the most rewarding is are the fans, the generations of fans who connect over Cleveland Indians baseball, families that have been pulled apart for whatever reason, whether it's an illness in the family, an argument, you name it. Ending up sitting at an Indians game or talking about the Cleveland Indians is what can bring them back to a comfortable spot in their life. Uh, the efforts we can do as an organization from our community impact department, renovating fields here in Cleveland, our high school baseball and softball programs do not happen if the Cleveland Indians Charities isn't the sole provider for those student athletes, the men and women, the boys and girls that play baseball and softball. Uh, Cleveland went through a difficult time with their public education where they only had two sports per term. And they chose track, men and women's track, as the budgeted. There were a number of Division I athletes coming out of our track and field, both men and women. And so they decided they were going to cut baseball and softball. And after that meeting was over, the athletic director gave me a call and said, I just want to tell you something sad that happened today. And 
there was no more baseball or softball in the city of Cleveland for our municipal, uh, uh, the Cleveland municipal school system. And I told him, I said, well, hang on. And I called our owner right away, five minute conversation, called the athletic director back. And within two phone calls, we budget that and we have so for almost 20 years now um, to keep these young people. Our owners from Cleveland was a catcher at St. Ignatius High School, was also a fullback at St. Ignatius High School. His only comment to me was, could you imagine not playing baseball or softball your senior year for your school? And me being a high school baseball player, I played a little bit at Iowa Wesleyan. I said, absolutely not. I couldn't imagine it. And so we were there for the kids. So institutionally, through Indians Charities, through our community impact uh, department, we make sure that we can transform lives of those who need a helping hand. From the external, as I mentioned earlier, just fans of the Indians who connect through the generations, uh, people who get to know one another just from being at the ballpark and meeting a stranger and then becoming friends and the Indians are the conduit to that, uh, um, the good in professional sports. Sometimes we forget because uh, some of the other noise is louder, but we forget the importance of what uh, a sports franchise can do for a community. And we have a guy, as we get back to Bob Feller for a second, we have a man, the first to enlist, joins the U.S. Navy, shows his patriotism. We had Larry Doby in 1947 break the American League color barrier just 11 weeks after Jackie Robinson. Those kinds of acts by those gentlemen and through this organization sets a culture in a community as to what people believe your organization is all about. Uh, it's not just about wins and losses. And while wins and losses are the spark that ignite everything we do, and it's what we breathe each and every day to be the best baseball team we possibly can be, you truly have to be about more than just wins and losses how you impact the community, how you can bring families together. Uh, it's uh, far reaching uh, in what uh, a sports franchise can do for a community. Going off of you mentioning the Bob Feller story um, and him enlisting, we had two Indians players, Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer, who are both been nominated for the Active Valor Award uh, in the past. And you mentioned how the organization changes people's lives and impacts lives in the community. How have Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer impacted uh, the veteran community within Cleveland and even further? Corey has been for going on five, six years now, a regular visitor to our VA hospital. He also invites uh, veterans and their families every homestand, two games per homestand, uh, down to the ballpark to enjoy game and food and beverage on him. And he meets with them on the field pregame. 
So he's impacted a number over the course of five, six years. 13 homestands during the season, uh, connecting with different families. That's probably the biggest thing that he does military-wise. He also has the, the Kluber Family Foundation that he and his wife started uh, a year and a half ago um, to help uh, uh, young people who uh, are at risk. Uh, but his commitment to uh, uh, veterans, he likes to do it on a, a personal basis. So the, the, the visits to the VA, the uh, meet and greets at the ballpark, um, that's where he thinks he can make the, the most effort by uh, touching people personally. Uh, Trevor Bauer did a fundraiser with some T-shirts. He's a pretty interesting kid um, as he has grown in this franchise. And he has his own film company called Momentum Films now, where he does uh, a variety of different podcasts, different films, raising money, mostly for science and math students and, and institutions that focus on science and math. He calls himself a nerd. He calls himself a geek. He was a kid in high school that was really into physics, but could also pitch a baseball. But he didn't play shortstop. He didn't play center field. He wasn't on the basketball team or the base or the football team. Um, he applied physics to the art of pitching, which took him as he grew bigger and stronger. Uh, the ability to pitch at UCLA and then in the big leagues. And he wanted to do something for veterans because as a young kid, he saw Corey Kluber doing his thing. He's not as social uh, back then as Corey is and with Corey's wife and, Tor and Trevor being a single guy. So he thought, you know, my way to help is I can raise some money for wounded warriors, for some other veteran causes uh, and develop a couple T-shirts uh, and so on his own, with his own little company, you know, he created a brand of T-shirts that uh, uh, proceeds going to the veterans. So um, I'd say of the two, Corey, uh, his commitment to our servicemen and women is greater, but you cannot uh, discount anyone uh, who in their own way uh, finds it in them to uh, support our military personnel. Do you think Momentum uh, Films is going to ever invite you on to Bauer Bites? <laughs> I don't know. He and I did a, a chalk talk. We do this thing with Key Bank, uh, uh, one of our big sponsors here in Cleveland. And on a, once a homestand, they invite a whole bunch of clients. And I interview one of our players um, an hour before the game, normally a starting pitcher, obviously, who's not pitching that day. And... The most recent one was Trevor Bauer, and we really had, you know, we went over. Uh, the game had already started, and people were still in our press interview because the conversation was so awesome. And so I may have to ask him about that. If how come I'm not uh, uh, asked to participate in one of his uh, one of his shows? So you referred to to Bauer and Kluber. What is it like having? these stars now in Francisco Lindor, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Jose Ramirez. And how does that affect um, the PR side of the Indians versus when you were working in, uh, you know, 79 uh, when the Indians, a 500 season was good. Right. Um, it's much easier. 
no question about it. Um, you know, those guys, we've been blessed. When we moved into this building, Progressive Field, uh, Jacobs Field, when it opened in, in 94, we've had over the 25 years, this is our 26th season, and it's remarkable. I think in a blink of an eye, 41 seasons have gone by, but 26, you know, starting our 26th season, the 25 seasons have gone by in this building and we've had three world series. We'll have an all-star game. We had an all-star game in 97. We'll have another one coming up this summer, all the divisional championships and the all-star performers. Uh, the last 20 year, five years have been pretty good here. The first uh, 15 or so, not so good. Um, so what our business is all about is understanding the challenges that you face, and then how do you navigate through them? How do you become somebody in the organization that helps the greater good through public relations? Uh, um, back when I started in 79, it was truly media services. Newspapers ran the world. There was no such thing as email or cell phone. Um, and newspapers. There were three television stations, maybe four if you had an independent channel. Um, but newspapers ran the world, and you had your gruff, hard-nosed, you know, writers covering the team, and there was some animosity. And, and then all of a sudden, with technology and the growth of the sport and sports marketing, things changed dramatically over the years. And now social media is such a valuable tool to an organization and to have stars that you can uh, promote uh, on social media. It, uh, uh, it's a wonderful thing because the nature of our news business now, uh, there's less writers, you know, newspaper staffs are diminishing, TV staffs diminishing, you know, they send a cameraman, not always a reporter. So the cameraman has to be reporter and cameraman. And so you find yourself with the, avail the availability with technology to tell your own story. You don't have to rely on other people to tell your story. And when you have star performers, people who uh, can have larger than life uh, personalities, it makes it easier to tell your own story in an entertaining and compelling fashion. And that's what we do here. Um, we have a terrifically talented group, creative group in our communications department uh, that is challenged with the 24 hour a day cycle of social media. And I think, uh, matter of fact, we have our number one in Major League Baseball in engagements uh, that doesn't mean we have more people following us. We have more people who engage with us on and off, direct. Um, obviously, we, we can't compete with the Yankees or Dodgers in sheer numbers of followers, but people who engage, we're number one. And uh, that's, I think, through the hard work of our our communication staff and uh, their creativity is again you have to you have to really be on your toes to create creative content uh, with regularity.
as the PR head of the Indians, um, there's the scrutiny over the Indians logo and Chief Wahoo, um, who has been a staple of the Indians uniform since it was introduced. Um, what's the process like for you um, trying to find the middle ground with adapting to the sensitivity of the issue, but as well as trying to keep the brand the same? Yeah, it was an interesting, it was a very interesting process for us. It was one who I obviously, again, worked for the Atlanta Braves uh, in my only time away from the Cleveland Indians. So 41 years that I've uh, been involved in this, this discussion. And there was a period of time where we felt it was our duty to figure out the answer. We didn't need someone coming in and telling us uh, what we should do or not do, um, that we were capable of handling it. And our approach was when we created Block C, which was the logo that our guys used uh, in the infancy of our franchise for a couple decades. So we recreated that from our history. It was black lettering back then, turned it to red, the Block C, put Chief Wahoo aside, script Indians, three logos we felt as we were slowly going away from Chief Wahoo, and I think everybody had a sense that it was going to be eliminated at some point, um, we got a younger commissioner in the game of baseball who uh, was not in favor of it, understood that outside the world of Cleveland, it was not as popular as it was inside the world of Cleveland. And so discussions began uh, and uh, Commissioner Manfred and our owner, Paul Dolan, uh, met with our president, Brian Barron, to uh, determine the path that would lead to the elimination of, of Chief Wahoo on our uniforms. Um, and while we retain the rights to that logo um, and can still sell uh, Chief Wahoo items in our team shop here at the ballpark, you cannot get it externally uh, online there's some stores that may have some inventory left over uh, but there's none being made that is shipped outside of the team shop at progressive field and we felt it was necessary some actually felt that that might be a little hypocritical of the cleveland indians to uh, retain the rights and, and continue to sell it out of our ballpark uh, again, the only place you can do it. But if we did not do that, did not retain the right rights to the logo, then anybody could have taken the logo and done whatever they wanted with it. And we just felt it was still a part of our history and that we should be the ones that uh, kept an eye on that. I think people, when, they, when it happened, um, whilst a number of people were angry, a number of people applauded us, I think everybody understood that that time was coming. Didn't surprise anybody. So you were named in 1985 part of the team of dreams uh, in Sports Illustrated Baseball. Yeah. Do you think that means you should be the 31st executive to join the Hall of Fame? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I do. I do find it um, a source of pride that. You have to understand what the magazine was doing then. It, it was their 25th anniversary, and they picked their dream team organization for baseball. 
as part of their anniversary issue. And so Hank Peters, who I happened to get to work for, was instrumental in me coming back from the Atlanta Braves to the Cleveland Indians as he went from being the president and GM of the Baltimore Orioles, let go by their new owner, hired by our new owner, Mr. Jacobs, and ended up hiring me back from Atlanta to come to Cleveland. Hank was the general manager of that team. Stevie, the visiting clubhouse guy for the uh, Oakland A's, now their home clubhouse guy. Uh, he was named the clubhouse man of the dream team. Uh, there was a team physician, uh, traveling secretary, uh, and then the players, obviously. Manager, coaching staff, and players. So, uh, Of all the people that they could pick, uh, the incredibly talented group of people that are in this industry. Um, I felt very honored that they picked the kid from Cleveland. They might have felt sorry for me because we, you know, we were never in the postseason. <laughs> <laughs> never had too many winning seasons. But uh, whatever their reasoning was, I was incredibly appreciative and and very honored that. Uh, so when they when you think of that team, you have to have the context that it was a an anniversary of the magazine that they chose to do that. So you mentioned, uh, we know you have a Corey Kluber press conference coming up, probably to talk about his injury. So just to kind of wrap up, can you tell us more about uh, the Cleveland Indians charities, their involvement in the community and specifically with the Bob Feller foundation, some of the things that you're excited about between the Indians and the foundation. Yeah. You know, Peter Fertig called me, uh, to tell me that he wanted to honor Bob and that he had only met Bob on a, a few rare occasions that Bob had written the foreword to Peter's children's book that took the next day after Casey at the bat where there was no joy in Mudville because he struck out while the sun rises the next day and what happened the next day. And that was the basis of Peter's uh, book and Bob Feller thought it was a really cool idea because no matter um, whether you win or lose the sun's coming up the next day and you try to be better and they struck up that friendship as Bob wrote the forward so when he passed away when Bob passed away Peter called and said I want to honor him and here is my thoughts and the greatest name in Cleveland Indians franchise history uh, we wanted to be a part of it uh, we wanted to see how we could connect uh, Major League Baseball to it, how we could get the PR community relations people in baseball to embrace the Bob Feller Act of Valor Award concept. Um, it's turned into uh, uh, a pretty wonderful uh, relationship uh, that we can continue to foster the legacy of the great Bob Feller, who was more proud of his uh, service to our country than he was being one of the greatest pitchers that the game had ever known. And so as we work through it, just trying to figure out how we can garner more attention to the foundation and some of the other work they're doing through essay contests, uh, things of that nature. Um, as you know, we honor a, uh, a current player, a Hall of Famer, and a uh, Chief Petty Officer, which was the rank Bob achieved. Uh, he could have had a deferment, uh, but he chose not to, uh, sitting instead on board of the USS Alabama in the middle of the Pacific, 
uh, during the height of World War II as he was in the, the machine gun turret, um, you know, spotting kamikazes for uh, uh, the gentleman manning the, the machine gun. Things that you guys and me uh, have no concept of. Um, what, you know, strength it takes to to be out there in the middle of that water and, and airplanes wanting to dive bomb you. And, um, and the fact that we got to know Bob, he sat in our press box the last five, six years of his life. Um, same seat. We still have a, a memorial to him in the press box. Uh, nobody can sit in that seat. Um, visiting writers, broadcasters, especially the former players who are broadcasters and the former players who were Cleveland Indians who were dotted around baseball as broadcasters, Kuiper, Dwayne Kuiper in San Fran and Tom Candiotti in Arizona, Burt Blylevin in Minnesota, Pat Tabler in Toronto, and I can go on and on. There's a ton of them. They look forward to having dinner with him in the press dining room, all the old scouts. So anything we could do to help foster the legacy of that great man, we're here to do. And Peter uh, and an incredible volunteer board, they don't earn a penny, not a single one of them. Just they have a passion for baseball and they have a passion for supporting uh, our servicemen and women. And we do so under the umbrella of the Bob Feller Active Valor Award. Mr. DiBiaso, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we could probably talk all day. Uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime. Uh, we appreciate your support as a member of Team 19, and thank you for joining us today. Well, it was my pleasure, boys. Uh, good luck in your studies as you continue on. Um, if you have a dream to work in this industry of professional sports, you know, just uh, get after it. Do all you can while you're in college to build that practical experience and that resume. It's uh, the best way to go about learning the craft. And uh, I wish you guys nothing but the very best. And thanks for having me. For our listeners, thank you for listening. To learn more about the Active Valor Foundation and the 37 Hall of Famers who served in World War II, please visit our website at www.activevalorward.org.